On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, this is Bob Keebler, and I'm here to talk about the tax reform bill released on November 2nd, 2017. On November 2nd, 2017, the House of Representatives released H.R. 1, their version of the tax reform bill. A similar bill is expected to be released by the Senate in the near future. What we're going to cover now are some of the important changes in the law that are being proposed. The core ideas from the Republican side of the aisle were to reduce the number of tax brackets, lower marginal rates, reduce itemized deductions, and increase the standard deduction. Now, many itemized deductions will be eliminated. In fact, most itemized deductions will be eliminated. The ones that are perhaps the most important are state and local income taxes would no longer be deductible. However, state and local property taxes would continue to be deductible to the extent of $10,000. Furthermore, what we're looking at going forward is mortgage interest would change. Mortgage interest today, basically, if I have a million-dollar house and a million-dollar mortgage, I can deduct that interest. Any existing mortgages would be grandfathered, but on a going-forward basis, we would not be able to deduct mortgage interest for mortgages in excess of $500,000. That is the current version of the bill. There would, however, be an increase in the standard deduction to $24,000, but most Americans would no longer itemize. They would take the $24,000 standard deduction, especially because they would not be able to deduct state and local income taxes. So we have a $24,000 exemption, no more than $10,000 of property taxes, which means $14,000 of other deductions, namely charity. Charitable deductions have not been adversely affected under this bill, except in a positive, it looks like the bill would increase the AGI limitation from 50% to 60%. So you'd actually take a larger charitable deduction. On the business side of things, very interestingly, the corporate tax rate would be reduced for C corporations to 20%, and the rate for partnerships, sole proprietorships would be reduced down to 25% on pass-through income. However, in order to create guardrails to avoid abuse, there are two anti-abuse provisions, namely individuals in the professions, doctors, lawyers, CPAs, architects, etc., appear to be carved out that where they would not qualify for this lower rate. Furthermore, even if you're in a profession or a business that does qualify, say you own 100 hardware stores, you would have to split your income 70% would be regular sweat-of-the-brow type income, and 30% would be trade or business income. Now, there is a very complicated formula where if your business was capital intense, you would be able to basically take the value of that, and I'm not sure if it's book value or if it's going to be fair market value, but you'd multiply by a rate, which would be a short-term AFR plus basically 7%. So we'll work through that. We'll learn that. That is very interesting. And it also looks like you're passive, then you would qualify for the lower rate. Very interesting dichotomy there. Now, on the estate and gift tax side, the estate tax exemption would double. I'm going to talk about that. And then the estate taxes and the generation skipping transfer taxes would go away on January 1st, 2024. Basically, the six people driving this have been Senator Orrin Hatch, Speaker Paul Ryan, Secretary of the Treasury. Steve Mnuchin, Director of Budget Gary Cohn, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and Kevin Brady, the powerful chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. 
Now, we'll go from the current seven brackets, eight if you include the 0% bracket, down to four brackets. But there would be a 39.6% rate beginning at a million dollars of taxable income. However, what they snuck in, and they don't really talk about this in the 80-page explanation of the bill, but it's in the bill. I read it with my own eyes. There will be a 6% surtax on AGI greater than $1.2 million. So I want to work through this some more, but take a look at this in the bill. And if I'm right on this, what this means is that we'd be in this very strange world where we might be trying to pull income into 2017 to avoid the surtaxes. Keep in mind, over a million, the 39.6% rate is going to be steadfast. And then we add that to the 6%, we'll be looking at a rate at 45.6% if your AGI exceeds a million too. AGI, not taxable income. So the million dollar 39.6% rate would be getting a million under the bill. The extra 6% would apply when your AGI was over a million too. So if you had a million two of AGI, and you, or a million three of AGI, even if you had tremendous charitable and other deductions, you would not be able to avoid the surtax. So it's a very interesting strategy here. Capital gain rate, 0% rate and 15% rate would stay pretty much unchanged, but above 479,000 of taxable income, you would jump up into a 20% rate. Here's what's going to happen with the estate tax under this version of the bill. So there's three things we have to pay attention to. One is today the exemption is $5 million inflation adjusted. So next year, it's a $5.6 million exemption. You knew that. My wife and I together next year will have $11.2 million of exemption. However, that would double in 2018. So 60 days from now, the exemption doubles to well over $22 million. Now, portability in the, in the interim would be retained. As long as we file a return, we would be able to retain portability. And beginning January 1st, 2024, there would be no estate or GST tax. The interesting planning, if this happens, is that certainly anyone that dies after January 1st, 2024, you will be funding a GST trust that will be, it'll be a 2000, we'll probably call it 2024 grandfather trusts, different than the 1985 grandfather trust. And people will be structuring these trusts in states like South Dakota, Wyoming, et cetera. Okay? They'll be looking for that extra edge of trying to transfer more property. So if, I, if my wife and I were worth $22 million, we would easily create $22 million of GST exempt trusts. But if we're over that and we die after January 1st, 2024, in all likelihood, we would create a second variety of generation skipping trust, some type of grandfather trust. Time will tell how this evolves and how the GST experts will tell us to play this out. But that's probably where we're going. Now, here's the scary thing about portability. We will have portability in 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23. But then in 24, the estate tax goes away Unless they set the rate to zero and keep all those statutes in play, portability will also disappear. What that means is I will not want to leave my wife my $10 million, but I would want my 
$10 million going into bypass trust because if she dies, when the estate tax comes back, because here's the rest of the story. The rest of the story is the Byrd Rule. Keep in mind, under the Byrd Rule, the Senate has a rule that when you go through reconciliation, in order to pass something on 51 votes, if it's going to significantly increase the federal deficit beyond a 10-year term, then you have to have a sunset. That's what we had in 2010 when we did not have an estate tax for one year, and then it came back in 2011. The similar rule, this Byrd Rule, will come into play. So 2024 is the first year we're not going to have an estate tax. In 2025, a new president could sign a bill to reinstate the estate tax, or in 2028, the estate tax repeal could simply sunset. So there are, I think for most people with very large estates, it would be totally unreasonable to stop planning. It would be totally unreasonable to stop planning. Tax-free gifts, what will we be doing going forward? I think there's going to be a lot of changes here. It's going to take time to think through it, but in the short run, for the rest of 2017 and for January of 2018, you certainly continue to make your annual exclusion gifts. The only change in the plan there would be if you knew someone was going to die very quickly, you thought they would make it into January, and that they wouldn't have an estate tax if they died when the $10 million exemption was in place, and that property had very low basis. But if it's cash or high basis property, there's no reason not to make gifts. You'd also have to look at, should we be doing 10-year grats in the meantime? Because if I do a 10-year grat and I die during that period of time where the estate tax is not in place, um, that property would be transferred out of my estate. If I die and the estate taxes come back, it would be a disaster, but that's why I would just do my grat for 10 years. We might also be able to have grats payable to grandfather GST trusts or have a two-path grat depending upon the state of the law at the time the grad expired. Certainly, spousal lifetime access trusts will continue to have a high degree of efficacy because I basically get to move the growth out of my estate while making sure my spouse has at least a little bit of access and control to those funds with an independent trustee. Now, also under the bill, the alternative minimum tax would be repealed. This is a very big thing. So the AMT would be repealed, and seemingly enough, most of the AMT was caused by the deduction of state income taxes, or a good part of it. So merely by phasing that out, they may have changed the AMT permanently anyway. Common preference items were adding back state income taxes, tax preference items on muni bonds, percentage depletion and excess intangible drilling costs, certain types of depreciation, and the AMT preference item from the exercise of incentive stock options. Interestingly enough, on a going forward basis, if the Senate bill is similar to the House bill, ISOs may become very popular again because without the AMT, when you exercise ISOs, you wouldn't pay any income tax until you actually sold the stock you bought with the ISOs. Now remember, once we see how this works, we're going to have to decide and recommend to our clients whether they should defer gains into next year or whether they should accelerate gains into this year. When you do that, you have to think about that 6% surtax when AGI is in excess of $1.2 million. We also have to think about accelerating losses or deferring losses based upon the same criteria. The choice of fiscal years for estates and trusts 
will be actually quite a fascinating exercise. We thought that in our earlier teaching that most people would take a 12-31 year end so that they could shift income into next year when rates would be lower. Well, with that 39.6% rate staying in place, that seemingly doesn't make sense. Now I may want to go for the longest year I can trying to bring as much of the 2018 income to keep that in today's rate because today's rate might actually be lower. Now I'm going to have to watch the timing of my bequests. I think that becomes very important. And I'm also going to have to work with and deal with the timing of the sale of securities. Okay. How, and again, there's a lot of dynamics here based upon the surtax when my AGI exceeds a million too. Now, timing of ordinary income expenses and deductions, keep in mind, mortgage interest will change going forward. We talked about that. State and local property taxes will be deductible. State and local income taxes are going to no longer be deductible, which gives great question of what should I do this year? How much do I pull into this year's return? We're going to have to very carefully think about timing business expenses. Now, because most people will no longer be itemizing, it raises the question of whether many of your clients should be creating donor-advised funds in November or December of 2017 and funding those to take their last charitable deduction. Because going forward, if I have a $24,000 standard deduction and I'm already deducting $10,000 of property taxes, that's my limit, unless I'm over $14,000 of charitable deductions, I'm not going to get any benefit from that. I'm better just to use the standard deduction. So that's something that's going to be a very important thing to remember on a going forward basis. Proposed corporate tax rates, I spoke about this briefly, but just to refresh everybody's memory, 20% rate is what's being proposed right now. The 25% pass-through rate is way more complicated because that's formula-driven. The statutory formula that's being suggested is a 70-30 statutory formula. This may well change the choice of entity and tax elections on a going forward basis. So I think we're going to, have to be very careful with this. Certainly, if you have a trust or an estate that owns an S-Corp or an LLC or a partnership right now, you're going to have to very carefully evaluate year ends and how you're going to approach this. Remember, the 25% rate is out there. It's formula-driven. 70% ordinary, 30% cap gain right now if you materially participate in the business. If, you're, if you do not materially participate, on the surface, it looks like we could use just the 25% rate. Right now, the way I understand it is we would use the same criteria that we use under 469 to determine passive versus active. So the committees have also put a guard rule out there guardrail that says if you're a lawyer, CPA, doctor, architect, etc., you are not going to be able to avail yourself of this rate. Exactly how they define that, certainly there's going to be people that have very high incomes that probably fall on the right side of that line, and there may be some other people that fall on the wrong side of that line. So we'll have to take those one at a time, and certainly there's going to be people that are not clearly in one camp or the other. Remember, if you have basis in your IRA, there's nothing in this bill that would prevent you from flipping that basis into a Roth IRA or doing some type of Roth conversion. But remember, with the Roth IRA, we're no longer going to be able to do recharacterizations 
for years beginning on or after January 1st, 2018. Now, the way I read this bill, and the way my partners are reading it right now, and we might be wrong, is that if you converted in 17, you'd have until October of 18 to recharacterize, October 15. However, I want to let some other very smart people look at that and tell us what they think. Okay, so that that's one. need to be very careful about that. Do not take my word on that. Double-check it. Read the statutes yourself. So we're no longer going to be able to do the Roth recharacterization. That means, I think, on a going-forward basis, our Roth strategies will change, but we have one more shot at Roth conversions yet this year. And I think that's something that probably on a going-forward basis we have to start to explore because if RMDs going forward will be taxed at 39.6 plus the surtax, it raises a great question. For very wealthy people, they may be better to do Roth conversions in December of 2017 and only pay tax, believe it or not, at 39.6%. But remember, if they do that, it's very possible that they would be able to deduct those state income taxes. You'll have to test for the AMT one last time. So again, the concept here, everything on the Roth IRA has stayed the same except the ability to recharacterize. But the reason some people may want to convert in December, November, December 2017 is because they could deduct their state income taxes. So if you are a California resident with, let's say, a million-dollar IRA and you flip to a Roth, this is going to be painful. But you'd pay $130,000 of California tax. But that might be deductible on the federal side, depending upon your AMT status, giving you a tax benefit of, let's say, $50,000. That tax benefit would not be around next year. So once we know how this plays out, we'll have to evaluate the efficacy of some of these Roth conversions. On the educational side of things, very complicated. They have simplified the tax tax code's role in education. Student loan interest would no longer be deductible. Tuition fee deduction would no longer exist. The exclusion of interest on E-bonds and I-bonds would no longer be allowed. And the qualified tuition reduction for employees, spouses, independence of employees of educational institutions would be changed. So I think that means if you're the child of a professor, you're not going to get the tax-free break you have in the past. Employer-provided educational assistance would be taxed differently. ESAs would no longer be allowed, additional contributions, but 529 plans would actually be enhanced slightly. Up to $10,000 could be used for qualified expenses for elementary school and high school. Qualified expenses would be expanded to include expenses associated with apprenticeship programs, and unborn children in vitro uh, may be named as beneficiaries. So I think what that means, if, for example, you're representing grandma and grandpa, their daughter-in-law, their son's wife is going to have a baby, they would be able to fund a 529 plan for that baby before that baby was born. The HOPE scholarship credit would be repealed after 2017. The lifelong learning credit uh, would be repealed after 2017. The American Opportunity Credit would stay largely the same, 100% for the first 2,000, 25% for the next 2,000, but with phase-outs. But they would now include the fifth year of post-secondary education. And finally, student loan forgiveness beginning in 2018 the forgiveness of student loan debt 
would not be taxable to the student on account of the student's death or disability. We've covered a lot of ground today. On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, this has been Bob Keebler discussing the House of Representatives Tax Reform Bill issued November 2nd, 2017. Thank you for joining us.